Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome to Chaplain Stories. I am Chaplain McCary, and I have returned to my roots in Oklahoma to talk to one of the very first chaplains that I ever met. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And as always, as a reminder, the opinions that we give here today are myself or those of my guests and not necessarily those of the Army. Uh, so, sir, if you could uh, introduce yourself, tell us your position and uh, kind of what you do here. Yeah, my name is uh, Chaplain Brad Hanna, and currently I serve as the state chaplain for the Oklahoma National Guard, so we're responsible for anything chaplain-related in the state. Now, I want to put a plug in for old uh, Chaplain McCary because the first thing I remember about you was I saw at the very beginning, this is a guy that's called by God to be a chaplain, and I remember your singleness of, uh, of your calling and... Um, you know, you've pursued that, so I want to commend you for that. And if I'm not mistaken, the the, the first time we spoke was when I was in OCS. That's correct. Right? And yeah. I was kind of fig- trying to figure out if OCS was going to continue on in that program, if that was going to hinder me from, from pursuing the chaplaincy or if not doing it. And, uh, and you came and sat down with me and and gave me some wisdom there. Well, and what's interesting is how many people have gone to OCS thinking that was the path to the chaplain corps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I don't think it hurts anybody to have gone through that. It's certainly a lot of good training and experience, but uh, I, they wanted me to talk you into staying, but I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not an OCS retention guy. So when I found a guy that wanted to be a chaplain, my thing is, buddy, if you want to be a chaplain, you need to pursue it. So yeah. And I think it was probably about, it was maybe a little over a year from that, not, not too long at all, that I became, uh, I came into the Chaplain Candidate Program yeah, here absolutely. in the Oklahoma Guard. Well, what I'd like to do is learn a little bit more uh, about your background. Uh, so what did you do before becoming a chaplain? I actually was a church planter um, right after uh, seminary. I worked on a church planting team in Texas, and after a couple years there, we had my endorser here in Oklahoma, which is the Free Will Baptist denomination. They called one to start a church in this area, and my wife and I came basically in view of a call and prayed about it and just felt immediately that this was an area that God uh, wanted us to uh, to serve in and start a church. And so, yeah, it was all pastoral experience up to the time I entered the, the chaplain corps. That's very interesting. I did not know about the, the church planting piece of that. Uh, so as you're going through that process, you know, you're coming to Oklahoma, uh, you're starting a church. What made that transition for you from, uh, from ministry as a church planter to the chaplaincy? Well, I would have to say the sovereignty of God was all over this because the house that I moved into across the street and one house over was another pastor. His name was Paul Fritz. 
who is now Chaplain Paul Fritz in the active duty United States Army. And he and I just became friends just as pastors. And then we got to talking one day and he said he was looking into the Chaplain Corps. Around the same time, our executive director or state promoter, whatever the title was at that time, um, he, he talked to me and he said, Brad, you know, you're young, you look like you're in good shape. Have you ever considered being an Army chaplain? And I said, well, I can't do that. I'm a pastor, you know. And he said, well, you know what? I serve in the Oklahoma National Guard, and you can serve one weekend a month and two weeks a year. You know, of course, we want to knock on wood somewhere because that's all it was, right? One right, weekend a month, right. two, two weeks a year. And I said, yeah, but what if I got deployed? And he said, I've been in 15 years, and I've never been deployed. And I said, well, man, that sounds great. So and, I, I got to uh, ask, so what time, what what year was this? This was probably 1999 when we were we began having these discussions. And uh, so, yeah, the world was different. He was exactly yeah. right. But that actually just began... The process of me praying about it and looking into because i don't jump into anything i feel like you need to count the cost before mm-hmm. you before you do anything and you know it's just interesting seeing my neighbor going through that talking with uh chaplain ernest harrison who just passed away this past year but it was just in my opinion it was god intervening in my life preparing me for the moment to come into the chaplaincy my and of course i also believe my wife needed to be part of that she wasn't fully yet on board her her dad was uh, retired from the navy so she certainly understood the military life but a lot of just unknowns until we had our second son in january of 2001 and he was uh he was breached she ended up having to have a c-section mm. everything was fine but the next month the bills started rolling in yeah. <laughs> i remember sitting at the kitchen table my wife was looking down at the bills. Then she looked up at me and said, I think it's time you join the National Guard. The next day I signed the papers. Wow. And uh, we've never regretted it. Uh, of course, uh, 9-11 happened just a few months later. I, I raised my hand by the time the paperwork was done. I signed up on Armed Forces Day in May of 2001. And of course, we know the world changed in September. And I remember my dad calling me after that um, after September 11th and said, well, boy, you sure got a sense of timing. And I told him, I said, Dad, you're, I don't believe it's my timing. I do believe it's is God's timing because when I was praying about this, I never felt like this was to go play Army for one weekend a month and two weeks a year. And I think I know now why God was preparing me for this. And I still believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was just preparing me for the, this season and this um, period of history that we find ourselves in in America. Yeah. So you said Armed Forces Day 2001. What was that date? Out of curiosity. May 18th. Was it really? I believe. To is either it was either May 17th, 18th, or 19th. The, um, the, it's right, right in that period. Because the date I enlisted was May 18th, 2002. Wow. Yeah. Right. Right out of high school uh, was was when I enlisted May eighteenth cool. of two thousand two. So after nine eleven uh, occurred. Um, so when you started out, did uh, did you start out as a chaplain? Yes, I okay. sure did. I never had any military experience. Never really. I mean, fairly early on, I felt a call to ministry, and mm-hmm. so I was sold out to ministry even at eighteen years old. Went to a Bible college, a Christian college, began studying theology, 
Um, really didn't even know I was going to go to seminary, but after I uh, graduated college, decided to go to, to seminary. So, I, I mean, I've had a heart for ministry, know that God's called me, and that is is uh, what I have prepared for and don't really have a backup plan. Yeah. So uh, it was just God kind of leading, leading along the way. So. So you came in in 2001. Uh, what was the first unit that you went to? First of the 179th Infantry Battalion. Right. Yeah, it was a, a great experience. In fact, one it's an experience I try to get all of our chaplains to have because, the, in my opinion, the Army is... Uh, the language of the army is the language of the infantry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the quickest way to learn one of the hardest jobs because, yeah, you're not out there with a rifle, but you're out there eating the same dirt with mm-hmm. them. It's a good experience right from the beginning. You learn the importance of staff pro- uh, processes, staff planning, and uh, and it's just a great place to um, earn your right to be there because they don't just accept you just because you showed up right you got to get out there and you got to be uh got to show that you're a soldier and then once you do man they op- open their arms and you're one of them and it's just it's a great way to learn how to be learn the army chap chaplain ministry so what did you find helped you as you know you're coming in uh 2001 brand new no military experience how, what helped you get integrated into Uh, that first unit well I was like a sponge and I didn't want to go do my own thing I I I, I studied missions in seminary and it was very interesting because what are you doing in uh, in missions if you say missiology first thing you do you go and you study the culture Mm -hmm. you don't go with and try to superimpose your culture over on someone else you learn their culture and from the Christian perspective how the gospel then uh, can uh, how you, but, but how do you bring the gospel to to that particular contextualize? Yeah, and so I spent the first man probably year year and a half learning. Mm. I mean, I still did ch- ch- uh, chapel services, but I asked a lot of questions, and I learned that that is a very powerful way of getting people to accept you because they want to teach you. Yeah, I was very open to being the guy that didn't really know a whole lot. And I was, you know, you have some self-deprecating humor. Uh, you know, hey man, tell me how to put this helmet on, you know, and just sometimes jo- jokingly. But I'd go around and I'd ask guys what they did. Hey, show me how you use that rifle. Tell me about it. And I'd ask questions. And man, guys love to, to, uh, to tell you what they do. And yeah. in staff meetings, I would, I'd actually take... Uh, some of my field manuals, and I would try to learn how what this re- religious support looks like, and and what they were doing. And when I went to Chibolic, if uh, for me, I heard some guy saying, "Well, we don't do this in the National Guard." For me, I was always always of the perspective: everything they teach, I want to learn because it looks to me like there is a place for this in the National Guard. It looks like it's the same army to me, right? You know, so. Um, I, I think I've always been a sponge and wanted to learn as much as I, I could and find that that learning the Army way is the best bridge to taking the message that God has given me to them. It's, it's just a, it's a bridge to them. Yeah. I've heard, heard some chaplains say you have to learn to speak the Army's love language to, mm-hmm. to minister uh, in the Army. Yeah, it's a good way of... 
saying it. I think that fits right in with that. Well, I'd like to ask you a few questions about some things that you've done in the chaplaincy. Uh, looking back over your time, what would you say is the most physically challenging thing that you've done or experienced as a chaplain? Physically, strictly physically speaking, was air assault school, mainly because I was um, in my mid-30s and, you know, it was when I started carrying a ruck march and tra- or carrying a ruck mm. and going on long ruck marches. Uh, that was just took a toll on my body, and I wanted to be prepared. Yeah, uh, I did. I did not want to go. They they had not our state, as far as I know, had not sent a chaplain before. They were everybody was thrilled that I was going, and I didn't want to fail. And so I spent months. Uh, again, I'm a sponge, so I downloaded the air assault handbook. I uh, joined a CrossFit gym, so I could get in as the best shape that I could. Went, you know, did rope climbing and. Uh, I'd go to CrossFit in the morning, I'd go lift weights at noon, and in the evenings I'd alternate between running and carrying a ruck, and that was that was physically exhausting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it prepared you well. It was a fun school, but, uh, you know, it's not a whole lot different than things you do on a deployment either by the time you put on all your body armor and, um, and carry a ruck, but that... If you're, we're just talking physically, that would be, that would be it for me. Yeah, I think I remember when when you went to that school. I was a, a chaplain candidate at the time. You said mid thirties. I'm, I'm about there now. I'll be 34 this year. Um, Get after it, brother. Because let me tell you, I, I the, know the warranty has expired. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. I hear you. That's what I said earlier. I was glad I did. Uh, I did the spur ride in my early 30s and not a, you know, somewhere towards the end of my captain yeah. time was in a cab unit. Yeah. Then I'd be doing spur riding hurting a lot worse. What, what has been the most spiritually challenging thing that uh, you've encountered as a chaplain? Spiritually challenging. Um, you know, I think for me, if, if you're talking personally, the things that affected me spiritually, uh, I think being on a deployment away from your own personal and family and um, faith group resources and being the sole person who's out there giving and giving and giving and struggling to find time to keep filling that well. And I'll give you a good story. I've shared this. You you have probably heard it, but one of my heroes of the faith in the chaplain corps is uh, Ken Sampson. I think did you I talked to him. He was the very I first think I remember chaplain. that. He came to Fort Stewart as a guidepost yes. representative. He was my division chaplain in Afghanistan in two thousand three. Right. And he visited me and I was nervous here. I mean I'm a brand new captain. You know, yeah. I'm overseas. I'm trying to look the part, do the right and he came in just as a servant. Mm-hmm. And I I asked him, I remember very clearly asking him the question, sir, what is it that you want me to do? I mean, he's my higher level chaplain. Right. You know, tell me. And he said, well, several things. Number one, maintain your spiritual fitness. And he went on to describe how we are a well from which everyone else is going to want to draw and need to draw. Mm -hmm. And if the well goes dry, you have nothing to give. And so Mm -hmm. he talked to me about what to... Uh, how to maintain your spiritual fitness using some of the practices that that are my own 
And by the way, he never got off of spiritual fitness. I don't ever remember anything else he said because he spent so much time just encouraging me to maintain my spiritual fitness. Mm-hmm. And I found that by experience, by experience, that what he said was indeed true. Because, I mean, I hate to say it, but there were times my well went dry. And I remember getting cards from people at churches that I had never, people that I'd never met. And I remember them telling me they were praying for me. And I remember sometimes tears streaming down my face because I had hit one of, at times, some of those points where I didn't even know how to pray for myself and just thankful that there were people still praying for me. And I was still, I mean, don't get me wrong, I hadn't denied my faith. There wasn't anything like that, but the the drain of just giving and giving, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you just... The, the spiritually challenging part of that is just continuing to remind yourself that you have to keep feeding your own soul. You've got to reach out. You've got to let other people speak into your life. And I think I did a better job of that on my next appointment. Um, but that is a tough thing spiritually, even for a chaplain. You mentioned something uh, interesting. Um so you've lived now in Oklahoma in this area for how many years? I moved here in 1998. So, so, so you have you and your family. You have a lot of roots then in this area, probably. By yes, by now we do. Yes. Um, and um, I think one of the things that that those of us on active duty we miss out on sometimes is we is we don't have those roots in a community, and so I especially leaving a. Uh, like a local church body where you've been ministered to or maybe even are ministering as a, a National Guard chaplain because there are many National Guard chaplains who also serve as pastors and then leaving for deployment, how that could be yeah. uh, a, a very difficult thing. Yeah. And at the same time, um, potentially helpful because you have a, a body there that can support you with their prayers and their letters and their encouragement. And that's true across the board in our communities. The National Guard is a community-based organization. The, you know, since the Vietnam War, the strategy of the U.S. is we don't go to war without our Guard and Reserve. And the reason is because there's a tie to those communities. And certainly we are recognizing even more and more the importance of keeping our service members tied to our faith communities, even a steady state operations when we're at home uh, working from our level working with our local clergy so that they understand the needs of the of their service members and um, networking with them so that the resources that perhaps we are missing in our organization they can voluntarily you know if a soldier can voluntarily go and find some of those resources with them so it's a beautiful beautiful thing a lot of people don't understand there's a lot of nuances with the uh, with the National Guard but one of our strengths is our ties to our community absolutely absolutely what, what was your toughest day or event in your time as a chaplain well there uh, our last appointment was a tough one I remember the first casualties, KIA, that we uh, received, I think it was in, the months were all jammed in in there together, and I apologize, but I believe it was July 
of 2011, we had two Americans who were killed by, um, a, they were on a dismounted patrol and they were killed by an IED along with multitude of several in the Afghan army. And we had uh, others that were, um, were injured as well. So that was the shock of that being guys in our unit from our state and our communities, the same strengths from being in the community also make these kind of things sometimes even harder. Not, yeah. And I don't, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that our deaths are harder than active army at all, uh, but they are people that, man, guys went to school with mm-hmm. growing up and, and things like that. Um, but I remember I flew from where we were to um, Bagram to do the ramp ceremony for him because I was one of the few people who, being at the brigade chaplain at the time, had access to um, the UH-60s mm-hmm. because of our brigade commander. So I was able to get to Bagram, do that ramp ceremony. Ended up, I wanted to go check on my battalion chaplain who was in Paktia uh, province at the tiny little outpost where these guys were out of. And so long story short, ended up flying and then getting on a convoy to get out to him and was just going to assist him in whatever he needed for the memorial ceremony. Yeah. So I was sitting out, uh, we were talking with um, he and his chaplain assistant outside that night. And, you know, I was just kind of trying to minister to him. He's ministering to me. We're uh, kindred spirits anyway so it was a lot of encouragement just being together and while we were out there talking about these guys that died somebody came out and told us that one of our um, a fellow by the name of Kirk Owen who started off as a chaplain assistant oh wow um, ended up becoming a um, scout he ended up was killed that day and we were just I mean it was just almost almost overwhelming and um, we sat out we cried together and um, somehow those tears turned into worship and we began to sing and pray and praise the Lord and that was a hard day yeah there were a lot of hard days uh, since you know all um, anytime you lose somebody it's hard but I just remember how poignant that was in fact, I had just seen Kirk the day before when I was passing through Gardez on the way out there, and uh, and yeah, that was a that was a tough day. Yeah, and I know my my brother. He's still still in the Oklahoma Guard, um, and and he serves with some of the same people that he served with for many many years. It's one of the one of the interesting things about being in the guard is sometimes you will get to serve with the same yeah. group of people for a long time, and we don't necessarily get that. Yeah. Um, you know, has its advantages and disadvantages sure. on, on active duty, but absolutely. Um, but you can really build some strong connections, uh, some strong connections with folks. So, what would you say was your most rewarding day or event? in the chaplaincy hopefully if you're a chaplain you're going to have a lot of rewarding days and I've had I mean I've had several for different reasons kind of hard to pinpoint one I would say probably that one of the top ones was um, after we had our guys had been out on mission we ended up losing a guy that was a very popular 
guy. Everybody loved him. And it's a long story, but when we ended up doing the memorial ceremony, there was a lot of tension that was there between them and their higher headquarters. And then, of course, everything just keeps rolling, you know, the, right. then brigade. And then I had to make some on-the-spot corrections for at the memorial ceremony. That put everybody mad at me. I mean, just a lot of tension surrounding this horrible e- event and losing a popular guy who, I mean, died in a combat mission. And my a couple weeks later, my commander wanted me to fly up to visit with them. They were out on another mission way up in the mountains in an area that I heard had not seen foreigners since the Russians. They thought we were Russians when we got up there, way up in Nuristan uh, province. And um, when we got there, I was really nervous because are these guys going to hate me, accept me? And they welcomed me so much. It wasn't about me. What um, it's, it's kind of how it was sounding. Um, but I remember they were so wanting and ready to talk about hope and peace in their own lives. And one of my favorite pictures that came out of that, my chaplain assistant took it, was us gathered around and when I was sharing communion with them, had a service with them, sharing communion with them, full battle rattle. You know, you could see uh, some uh, MRAPs that were set up for protection and and a wire that was around there. Mm -hmm. And then we gathered around for, uh, just gathered in a circle and 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 I was praying with them. And that picture ended up being taken and was used uh, as one of the promotional pictures for uh, the Citizen Soldier movie. I don't know if you've seen Citizen Soldier yet, but it actually was an independent film that was made about that company of our guys on our last deployment in Afghanistan. It's really a good film because it tells the National Guard story. But just how all that turned around and how uh, seeing those guys go from utter despair to being... uh, coming to a place of now of wanting just to have peace and hope was just a very rewarding experience to be there uh, so that you could be there at the right time and right place to speak a word word into their lives. Um, so I'd probably say, you know, if I was to reflect on it longer, there would be other things, but that certainly was uh, was one for me. That's one of the, the very interesting things about what we do is, as, as chaplains, you know, we, we minister to these warriors and and being that hopefully source of peace and hope in the midst of war. It's it's a very interesting dichotomy. And it was one of those moments that just reminds you of why you signed up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was a great, great experience. What have you loved most about being a chaplain? It's funny you mention that. I tell people all the time, the thing I love the most about uh, being a chaplain is the diversity. Mm. The thing I hate the most about being a chaplain is the diversity. <laughs> you know, and you'll understand what yeah. that if you've been a chaplain for very long. I yeah. love the fact that when uh, we gather together, when you know, for people of your own faith group, not denomination, that we come in from all different flavors, uh, different race, different denominations, different backgrounds, different ages, but from my perspective we come together and we can focus on a person. There's one person that binds us all together and that's Jesus. Right. 
And I love that. I mean, it has opened my eyes, opened my heart to other people. And uh, now there's some frustration with that because, you know, if you can imagine how in a, a lot of churches there, everybody, you know, can be critical of one another. You put all these together and eventually you can have some of that. But, uh, but I love that about the chaplain corps. I love the fact that you're also there in the, in the mix with them. And there are some days when you, you might may question how effective you're being, but at any given time, just because you are there, things can totally turn around. And because you took the time to prepare yourself, learn how to be a soldier, you're there. And at the time when uh, God needs you to make a difference, to speak life into someone, to bring encouragement, and that's just exciting stuff. Yeah. So you, I mean, you know, you, there may be another place to do that, but... This is this is my tribe, the army, you know, the army tribe or the army national guard tribe, and um, and I love it. I love everything about it. it, it it's funny because I was kind of reflecting on that same thing today about some of the things that I've learned from chaplains from other traditions. You know, I'm Southern Baptist, and so we probably share quite a few similarities yeah. in how we do things. And I was just thinking of how. I've grown from rubbing shoulders with guys from more liturgical traditions and how that's helped me grow and stretched me and hopefully made me a better minister to my soldiers. Absolutely. So you've had the opportunity uh, in your role here in the Oklahoma National Guard to uh, start out a lot of chaplains on their journey Mm -hmm. as chaplain candidates. That's how I started out. But uh, you were here when we had the chaplain candidate platoon, I believe. Oh, we yeah, had a bunch, bunch of people. <laughs> uh, and it was right in this very room over here. I don't know if it's still there. They've kind of remodeled in here uh, where I raised my right hand and you, uh, you did the oath of office and swore me in as a chaplain candidate. Um, so thinking back over that and all these years of experience, what advice would you give to chaplains, chaplain candidates who are just starting out in this ministry? You need to immerse yourself in being a soldier. If you don't become a soldier, um, you're going to have a really hard time bringing the ministry skills or the calling you have to to that environment. Um, I've met a lot of people who are great pastors. They just probably need to do it in a church, nothing wrong with that, man. Our churches need pastors, right. but it takes a unique person to put on a uniform, somebody who's willing to to uh, stay in shape, to learn the army language, to um, apply uh, doctrine, army doctrine um, practices to your ministry. I mean, it's just how how you do things, and. Um, so that that certainly would be would be one of them. I think uh, as the chief of chaplains reminds us, we constantly need to be remember along with that why we were here, and that is our calling. You know, our our unique calling to be uh, pastors. Because sometimes after a while, you start to like the army stuff, and then you forget why you're really there. You know, uh, and then um, along the way, make sure you're staying spiritually fit. It can be it's a rough world. I mean, it is. It is a it is an environment that is you know they're not everybody out there is not trying to be godly. It's not like your church right, where right. people don't put on their pretty face and try to act all sweet and innocent, you know, like they sometimes do, uh, whether they are or not when they they come to come to church. 
um, uh, deployments, long training environments can be very hard. And so just like um, Chaplain Sampson told me in 2003, maintain your spiritual fitness. Yeah. You know, be that, have that well run, uh, that well needs to run deep. And it needs to be constantly filled and renewed so that you can uh, continue to provide those words of life to others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of, you know, filling the well, whether that's, you know, spiritual or just growing in knowledge, uh, what are a book or two that have been helpful or, or beneficial to you? Uh, it's always hard to pick one or two books. I, I was thinking about some that really changed me. And, of course, I always believe it's the Lord using those that changed me. But one was years ago, an old book. I'm sure plenty of people have read it. Um, but it was uh, by Chuck Swindoll called Grace Awakening. And um, it was probably a time in my life and ministry when I was really hard on myself, learning the disciplines of the faith. And sometimes it can cause you to be very hard also on other people. Mm. And I happened to read that book at a time uh, when I was also doing a study and preaching through Galatians, and God just transformed me by grace and helped me understand grace. And when I began to um, forgive myself a little bit more and understand that God has accepted me. He accepted me knowing that while I was still, uh, while we were yet sinners, he had died for, for us. Then it totally transformed the way I, be, I viewed other people and helped me to be much more gracious and to realize that I shouldn't be just there to fix their behavior, but to see them transform, which is a work that I can't do anyway. Right. Along with that was a book I just read a few years ago by Philip Yancey uh, called Vanishing Grace. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Uh, and what he does is he, it's not really a follow-on to his book. I think he wrote one called What's So Amazing About Grace. But it was listening to the perspectives of a lot of people today in, in a, a growing, increasingly irreligious society about their perspective of Christians hmm. and you know you can take that with a grain of salt because you know people outside of the faith don't necessarily understand everything but if, but if we listen to them one of the things that they began that one of the themes that was reoccurring was how harsh they felt like Christians were and he just began to have a, dis a conversation about um, is grace still being shown yeah through us today and how to have a conversation today when people don't accept your values, which is very important when you live in a uh, yeah. and work in a, in a uh, ministry setting like we do, where people aren't just asking you, hey, what can I do to change my life? I mean, they're, uh, in fact, it's uh, our beliefs sometimes are contradictory mm -hmm. uh, to their perspective so so that was that was a very helpful helpful book for me of course I love history as well anything by Stephen Ambrose I don't, mm, yeah. unfortunately he died several years ago but I love Stephen Ambrose um, un was it undaunting courage probably one of my favorites of his is the story of Meriwether Lewis and mm -hmm. Uh, seeing the West. Now you can ask me, what does that do for you professionally? Nothing. But I love the outdoors. And when he was writing about that, it just opened my eyes to what that must have been like to see the West for the first time. You know, of course, the Native Americans were already there, but he was right. writing for a, a more of an Anglo audience. And um, and it's good to have some books like that to just 
take you away from things mm-hmm. from time to time too. Yeah, that's one of the things I know I try and continually make time for is reading and um, and sometimes just for reasons like that. Not necessarily because it's professional development or whatever, but just for the for the joy of, of learning something new or seeing you know seeing something from a, a fresh perspective yeah. it's a it's a great thing to do well as you look down the road you've been in the in the chaplaincy for for a while now you've kind of sought just a little bit there before 9-11 and then you've experienced uh, what has happened since what do you see are some of the biggest challenges facing the chaplaincy as we look to the future how we respond and I hate to even use the phrase stay relevant because I believe we always will be relevant based mm-hmm. on our calling. Um, but how we continue to have an impact in an increasingly diverse army and yet not um, forsake our core principles of who we are. The chaplain corps will always have to change. I mean that's just right. the nature of of um, of, of things. We, things are constantly changing. We've got to keep up with it. But can we do that without compromising our core mission, which is to God? You know, you know, you right. it, not. I think you'll probably understand um, some of some of what's behind that. But I love what is being uh, communicated now about our identity. Mm-hmm. We need to remember our identity, that we're not just here to be social service officers or uh, morale welfare officers. We're not, I tell people all the time, we're not counselors. We right. counsel, we do biblical counseling, but we're not counselors. We are, I am at least, a pastor in a uniform. I represent my endorser. Right. And I hope that we will always have a place in our army where for people who will go and not only guarantee the free expression of religion, but provide the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, how, however many faiths that may involve, and that is increasing as according to a Christianity Today article I saw where the number of, of uh, religions in the military have, have, uh, have increased. That came through Christianity Today, not right. official channels. But, um, but So we will change along those lines, but I just pray that we remember our identity and are able to uh, preserve that. Yeah, and that's that's something that I've heard echoed from many others as well, and, and it's encouraging to, to hear you say that. Because um, it's, you know, it can be easy to do. It, it, even as a, as a chaplain, you know, we can lose, like you were talking about earlier, you can get so wrapped up in the, in the soldier piece of it that yeah. you kind of start to lose that pastoral identity. And to to maintain that identity, that connection with our our endorsing body, those things that that really make us unique, um, and make us the force multiplier that we are uh, to to hang on to those things. Um, I appreciate that. Well, Chaplain Hannah, I appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me today. Um, like I said earlier, this is a return to my roots here in the Oklahoma National Guard where I spent 10 years uh, enlisted and then 
as a chaplain candidate, and then about a year as a chaplain, I think, before I went up to the Kansas Guard for a couple of years. Well, you're always welcome in Oklahoma, but I brag on you often because we're proud of you. And, you know, I remember you telling me that you felt a call to be an active duty chaplain. And it was my desire from the beginning, even while you were a chaplain candidate, to one day be able to find, uh, hopefully see you uh, pursue that calling. And so it's a real joy for me to have you here and uh, see what God's doing through you in the Army chaplaincy. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to Chaplain Stories. Uh, You can find the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and family so we can get the word out about the great work that our chaplains are doing. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time for another Chaplain Story. Thunder and flame, wherever the call.